Hi, everybody. This is Barbara P. I'm a compulsive overeater. And, uh, gosh, so glad to be here with you all. I, I listen many nights and um, share sometimes. But it's such a powerful meeting because I think, you know, uh, anyway, those of us who who have been here and who know the kind of suffering that um, that we experience, you know, have ex- who have experienced that kind of suffering, definitely um, find a, a home here. So I know I have. Um, so again, so grateful to be here tonight. And I don't know why, but my mind is kind of on Bill's story. And I, I, I so I want to tell my story a little bit in, in the framework of that. And I think the reason why I'm, I'm reminded of that is I was on a cruise last week and um, and I'll apologize in advance if my voice gets a little wonky. I did, I did pick up COVID, but, um, but I was on a cruise and I went to meetings while on the cruise and it was so beautiful. It was all AAs. There, so there weren't, there wasn't anybody from our program and I thought, oh, I feel a little funny and I don't feel like I fit in because it's not exact identification. But what I heard was the seriousness of this disease and what would happen, you know, if if I went out. Like, you know, I think sometimes food is easy to underestimate. Like it's just food. I mean, my mama said it to me, Right. And that's that's really not the case. Food took my life to a place where I wasn't sure I wanted to live. And I don't want to go back there. I don't want to go back there. And, and I don't have to, thanks to this program and these steps that we've been given. We've been I, I feel like I've been handed a program of recovery, and now it's up to me to really take care of that, right? So part of that is showing up doing service. I, I I don't like speaking, but I, you know what? I show up and I do it anyway if I'm asked because I just, you know, any service position is hopefully going to keep me sober tonight. And that's that's really the deal, you know, right? One day at a time to stay sober. But where I started, I started in a family of eaters. Um, today I know, I don't think there were other addicts except for one um, sometimes people are just heavy eaters, you know, and use, sometimes people use food to cover up feelings and, and to kind of get through life. And I found I learned a lot of bad habits, but there was something different about me from pretty early on. And I think that's where, like I said, I'll kind of touch base on Bill's story. Sometimes, you know, I hear in him like this this desire, this drive to succeed from the beginning, from early on. You know, his he got abandoned pretty pretty early. He was I think nine when his parents abandoned him. And um he this drive to succeed was on. This guy was not gonna be abandoned again. He was gonna be on top of the world. And I kind of I think can really relate to that. In my home I had to had to be a certain way to really thrive and to to be acceptable and um I took that and I ran with it and I decided I I was going to be you know top dog but what that meant was I needed energy I needed bravado I needed a lot of things I didn't have and I found early on food started to fuel that like I really believed and I still kind of have a button in my head that food gives me energy. 
the truth of it is it zaps my energy when I when I overeat. I'm comatose. But in my head somewhere, food equates to energy. It equates to comfort that I grabbed onto as a kid when I needed comfort, when I was lonely, when I was, uh, you know, not feeling right. I, I ate and it was something I knew I was good at. I really did. I was like, a friend of mine says Olympic gold. I was a, an Olympic gold eater from the time I was young. If I set out to accomplish eating a box of something, I could do it. I could eat that box of something. So it really started so young for me that I, I started to abuse food. And, of course, then my weight started to grow. And so as a kid, I felt like I didn't fit in. I was not at all athletic. My body grew really fast and um, and expanded. And I always had that ability to gain weight really quickly. And so by the time I graduated high school, I was about 175, which really wasn't bad. I thought it was hideous. And I, I even had a doctor tell me, though, look, just don't even bother. You're, you, you know, you come from a fat family. You're not going to be thinner. Don't bother. It's a lifelong fight, and you'll never win. So these were key messages. I'm not good enough. Food will comfort me. Food will make me better and help me succeed. It will give me energy, give me comfort. And, by the way, why bother trying to fight it anyway? And I did periodically. I dieted. I, you know, I went off to college. I gained, <laughs> my friends gained the freshman 15. I gained the freshman 50. And I shot up to about 225. I actually stopped. That was just freshman first semester, first half. I actually got into a really bad depression. I mean, you know, the lie, again, this disease tells so many lies. The lies was that food was really sustaining me and giving me comfort and giving me energy. The truth of it was I was depressed. I was, I, I was, I, I couldn't fit in. I, I just was looking, for, I was desperate. I was really getting desperate. And I found that I just, I couldn't stop. I couldn't stop. I knew then something was really wrong. It wasn't a matter of just eating too much anymore or wanting food. Now, when I didn't want it, I I couldn't stop. And it it got really scary. And in Bill's story, it's on page eight of the big book. He says, no words can tell of the loneliness and despair I found in that bitter morass of self-pity. Quicksand stretched around me in all directions. I had met my match. I had been overwhelmed. Alcohol was my master. And I really can look back and see that, that as much as I would try and as much determination I had to succeed and everything else, I had been overwhelmed. I really couldn't stop. I I would think I got a handle on it for a little while and then something else would take me out, you know? Some like you know the insanity of this, right? I would do so well on my diet that I deserved a treat. And what I didn't know was it really was the first bite. I didn't have a problem until I took the first bite. Um, I didn't know that though. I didn't understand that to be my problem. I knew weight was, I knew my eating was, but I didn't understand about the first bite. So I guess I was in my learning stage and I tried a lot of different things. I tried geographic cures. Fear sobered me up for a little bit. Bill says that. 
you know, I got my first diagnosis of prediabetes. I was, my weight was moving and I couldn't stop it. And I did stop weighing at 224. I just could not see it go past that, but I know I went up at least two sizes more. So I'm guessing my top weight was right around 240 to 250. I, I don't know for sure because I just couldn't. At that point, I didn't want, I couldn't deal with reality. And again, I would try to to deal with weight, but what I really didn't understand was I wasn't really dealing with the problem. I could take some weight off and then I would just put it back plus 20. Take some weight off, put it back plus 20. I lost, I don't know, 50, 60, 80 pounds. I don't know how many times. And the minute, the minute I got to whatever size I was hoping for, or one size above, I never quite made it, but one size above where I wanted to be, I'd start eating again. And it was always that first bite. So I didn't know what to do. I got to a place where I really was, I, I just, I was desperate. And um, and I knew I was really sick with something, but I couldn't have described it. And I just was kind of giving into it, but I really didn't want to, I didn't, I didn't want to keep going. I didn't have the energy to keep going. Frankly, my body hurt. Everything hurt. I couldn't move. I was in my 20s. I had my gallbladder out at 21 because of all the fat and sugar and everything else I had consumed all my life. Um you know, so I had and I had this butcher of a surgeon. So at 21, I had a huge scar. They, it, I'm 62 now, so I, they didn't have laser surgery. I mean, it's a big scar. So already, I was just mauling my body. I felt like I couldn't fit anywhere, and I was walking around just feeling like an empty shell. And I went up. I I, I kind of ran away. I ran away for the weekend on the July 4th weekend with the hope of just either finding some miracle or or just killing myself, but not in a place where my family would find me. I got checked into a bed and breakfast. It just it was hugely fortunate. It's like, like the circumstances that got Bill to Bob and everything else. It's kind of miraculous. I walked into a bed and breakfast. It was the only place in town who had a room, very popular little town, July 4th weekend. And lo and behold, there was an AA retreat going on. And again, my main problem was not alcohol. I, you know, I could have drinks. I was a heavy drinker. I could drink a lot, but I didn't get up wanting to drink again. I always got up wanting to eat again. I just waited an hour or two until I didn't feel so sick. So I, I, But I talked to these AAs, and I described what was happening for me. It was the first time I ever got honest, I think, honestly, with myself and certainly anybody else. And they said, we know where to send you. It turned out the woman who ran this had been in OA in the area I lived, three hours away, and knew people. And she gave me numbers and told me who to call. And that that was the start of my OA journey. It was in 1988. And I was, I don't know, a couple of hundred pounds plus and, and I and not knowing what to do. And I was desperate. And that's how I feel like when I read Bill's story. I mean, this was his third treatment where he he finally, he was a minute away from wet brain. I think sometimes we have to get that beat up. I did. I I hope nobody else does. 
But I had to really have no other options. I had to realize I was not getting out of this thing alive. And unless I took it completely seriously and did everything I was told, I I was going to die. I I was going to die over 500 pounds easily. I, I just, there was nothing between me and gaining weight. And that was all that was ahead of me. And, you know, with each, again, each bit of weight, I would think, well, I can't get bigger. I can't get bigger. And I was getting bigger and bigger and bigger. By the grace of God, like literally dropped me into this place, sent me the message. Almost, there was no way for me not to get into OA. Like it was just, you know, it was like, okay, Barbara, I've had enough of you kind of, you know, muddling around. I'm going to bring you into a program that's going to save your life. So I did. I got into the program. I got a sponsor. People told me, this is what you do. And I did it. At that point, they used to hand you a food plan. It was probably a good thing at that time for me because I didn't know what to do. I couldn't have made good decisions about food. I didn't know what I was addicted to. I, I, I knew I had a problem with food and I knew I was dying. And I think that's kind of what Bill got to. Like, here's a guy who was so, um, gosh, just kind of anti-religion, lots of things. And I was too. But he had no choice. There was no other way out. So I took it. I took it and I ran with it. And I detoxed. And if you think detox is not real, try and give up your binge foods. Not just the foods you binge on, but the ingredients, the behaviors, and those foods that even are the B-list, right? When the A-list isn't available, what are my B-list foods that I play with? I, I just I play with. So, you know, for me, that list is a pretty long list. I eat very simply today because I can't play. I can't play with this. This thing is so serious for me that anything can kind of trigger and get me going. And I have to know every single day that my life is at risk. I I will lose my legs. I will, you know, be buried in the piano box. The whole nine yards. And I, I had enough of it as a child, enough of the teasing and the bullying. I had enough of it as an adult. You know, uh, my first relapse, I was gaining weight so fast. I had been in OA. It was about seven years. I was gaining so weight so fast, people were asking me if I was pregnant. At the time, I was in my 30s. It was conceivable. But they just couldn't, you know, nobody had seen anything like that. Um, that's that's my That's my story. That's how I, that's how this disease looks on me. Um, I had to really take this seriously, and I still do today. I, I want to talk a little <laughs> bit about, oh, perfect. Thank you so much. Um, just how this works for me today, um, and hopefully that's helpful for anyone. I, um, like I said, I, I treat this, and I try and remember every single day that I will die of this disease. I am recovered, but I'm not cured. And I I feel recovered in a sense because those those bedevilments don't plague me every day. My life is completely different. Um, And I don't, 99% of the time, want to overeat. I just don't want to. But it's only because of these steps. You know, step one, every day I wake up and check in with myself. Yeah, you're still powerless, Barb? Yeah, you are. 
and I've come to know that my life is unmanageable by me. Whether I'm sober or not, and I am, and I've been for a while now, but my life is unmanageable by me. And I have to quickly turn to step two and come to believe that something, something can knock some sense into me. There's something that makes more sense than my brain. Step three, I just make simply decide, yep, today I'm in. I'm in the program. I'll show up. I'll do what's asked of me. Step four and five, I went through. I've really looked at all that stuff that blocks me. And and I every day am doing 10 steps, which take me four through nine. Every day, some resentment comes up, some fear. I do, I act badly. Something happens. And I have to look at my part every day because that is the only thing in this lifetime that I get any little bit of say in. Um, you know, I guess I used to wonder, what does surrender look like? For me, that's what surrender looks like. Like, there's so much I don't know, and I just have to show up and and keep turning toward this power that I don't begin to understand, but that I fully believe in, because I've seen it change my life. Um, so 10, I, I kind of inventory every day. How am I doing today? How did I show up today? 11, I do at the end of the day also. How did I show up today? Did I did I do what I set out to do and what can I do better tomorrow? And then 12, I do things like this. If I'm asked to speak, I speak. I try and share at meetings, try and do service when I can. I sponsor and I'm so grateful because my sponsees teach me all the time. I am a perpetual student today. And that's what that's the best stance I can take in OA is to be a complete newcomer today, a perpetual student and someone who, if I show up for, like, my dialysis every day, I can live pretty normally. Um, you know, I'm at a fairly normal weight now. People think I I eat normally. They think I'm a healthy eater because they see me eat, and it's, it, you know, which is a joke, really. But, like, oh, you're such a healthy eater. Uh, you're like, yeah, love my salads. Um, hey, you know, it's it's keeping me alive today, and I really believe it's service in this program when all else fails. I was so glad to be doing this tonight because with COVID, not feeling well, it's really easy for me to sink into self-pity. And that's what always worked for Bill. It's what works for A's. It works for, for me as as a member of OA today. So anyway, I stay real grateful. You guys are helping me much more than I'm helping you. And um and with that, I'm going to pass, and I'm happy to leave my contact information I'm in the Eastern Time Zone. Uh, it's 404-372-6876. I'm in the Atlanta area, and um happy to be of help to, to anybody if I can be. So thanks so much for letting me share.